What do you think it would be like if you were ushered into the very courts of heaven? Just a little question to start the day there, really. If you were taken into heaven, well, that's what happened to Isaiah. Isaiah, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, certainly the most long-winded of all the prophets, if you've ever read the book of Isaiah. But there he is, he's taken up into heaven, and we read in Isaiah chapter 6 these words, in the, king that, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. What's that really saying? Well, Isaiah is taken up into the very courts of heaven, and there he sees God seated on the throne. The train of his robe fills the temple. That's a symbol to us of the majesty of God. I was looking at a picture the other day of when the queen got married in 19, see, 1947. This was her. Look at that train on her dress. It's so long that two little boys have to carry it all the way up Westminster Abbey, I guess that is, where she was married. And there's the picture, and it probably took them half an hour to get that train nicely spread out on the steps like that before the photo was taken. Why, why did she wear such a long train? What was it a symbol of? It's not to do the dusting while you're doing it, is it? Why, why would you wear that? Because she liked to. It's a symbol of her majesty. It's a symbol of her royalty. It's a symbol of her eminence in the country. You wouldn't dream of having an even longer train than that. You'd probably, if you were in Trinity, be out the door somewhere. You'd be in Londis at the other end of it, carrying it. It's so long. But God's train, how long is that? It says it fills the whole temple. So that you can't even sit anywhere without sitting on top of it. Because that is the majesty that Isaiah sees of God. Above him were the seraphim. This is the only time in the Bible that the seraphim are ever mentioned. And when God creates, God creates his beings functionally. And he says that there were six wings. Two wings they covered their faces, two they covered their feet, and two they were flying. Why do you think they covered their faces? You came to tag on Wednesday or Thursday, you might, I know this. Because you can't look at God and live. Do you remember Moses? Moses goes to God and says, God, I want one request of you. And God said, what is it? I'd like to see your face. And God just says, not a chance. You see my face, you die. But he said, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to have my glory pass by. And when I'm moving away from you, I'm going like this, you can see the back of me. And do you remember what happens to Moses when he sees that? He is so overcome with the radiance of God's presence that he's aglow when he comes down out of, from the mountain. And all the Israelites back away from him because they see his face is glowing. And he hasn't even seen God face to face. He's only seeing God as he's passed by. And here, what happened? The seraphim that God creates. They... He created them for that purpose, but it, even they can't look at God's face 
so they cover it. And with two wings, they cover their feet. Why do they cover their feet? What's the feet the symbol of? Taking your shoes off on holy ground, it's a symbol of your creatureliness, your humanity. When Jesus washed their feet, what did he say? I wash your feet, I'm washing the whole of you. I'm washing your humanity. I'm washing everything that you are. And so they cover their creatureliness because they know that they're in the presence of the Almighty. And with two they fly. And what do they call to one another? There's a clue in the first hymn that we sang. Holy, holy, holy. That's good. Your memories are getting there now. Good. You know, in, the, in Hebrew, there's a way. Like if, if, if Peter wanted to say to Sue how beautiful she is. You listening to this, Peter? You can't hear up there. If you want to say to Sue how beautiful she is, what would you say? She's beautiful. But if you wanted to say, actually, she's more beautiful than any other women in the whole of the church, what would you say? I think you're the most beautiful girl in the world. He would probably even sing to her, right? You'd say, well, she's not just beautiful, she's very beautiful. Or she's the most beautiful girl, she's very, very... I can't put enough verries in front of this, right? And in Hebrew, they do the same thing. Except what they do is if they want to exaggerate it, they repeat it. So they say, Peter would say, Sue, you're beautiful, beautiful. And, and if she was the most beautiful person, there is no more beauty than there is in Sue, you would say she's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. That's how you do it. That means it's the nth degree. There is no fourth time. Third time is the completion. And so the characteristic of God that they sing is what? Holy, holy, holy. You know, God is never called love, 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 or justice, or peace, or mercy, mercy, mercy. He is only ever, to the nth degree, called holy. The one characteristic of God that they want to say, this is the essence of who God is, is God's holiness. God is not just holy. He's not just holy, holy, but he's holy, holy, holy. Set apart, completely other. And Abraham sees that. Abraham, Isaiah sees that. He sees the glory of God and the holiness of God. And when they exclaim that, the doorposts shake, the thresholds shake, the temples filled with smoke. And what does Isaiah say? He says, I'm toast. That's in the vernacular. He says, woe to me. Now, there's two kinds of oracles, two kinds that, of, of messages that the prophets tell. One we're going to look at in the next few weeks. There is an oracle of blessing. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The other kind, the negative kind, is what? Woe. Woe to you, you Pharisees and teachers of the law. Woe to you, you know? You're like whitewashed tombs on the outside. You're all white inside. You're filthy rags. Woe. 
And what he does here, Isaiah, is he sees the glory of God. He sees the holiness of God. And he calls a curse on himself. He says, I'm going to curse myself because I see myself compared to the holiness of God. And Isaiah calls that down on himself. What would it be like to stand in the presence of God? You know, that's one of the problems, isn't it? That we want to be in God's presence, but the more we're in God's presence, the more like Isaiah we see our own humanity and our own weakness and our own sinfulness. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King the Lord Almighty. Over the next few weeks, months, we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is all about the holiness of God, what it means to be holy. He calls us in the Bible, be holy as I am holy, be different, be separated, have the same characteristic that he has. And we're going to look at that over the next few weeks. But I wanted to start here because as we take this journey, we're journeying into the presence of God, into the character of God, into who God is. And we need to recognize as we do that, the closer, if we engage with this, the closer we become to God, the more like Isaiah, we'll feel our own unworthiness. If you do not feel your unworthiness, then you're not taking the journey. Because that's the truth. The closer you get to God, the more you kind of want to shrink away from God. But the more you want to be in his presence. And there's this tension between being there but realizing our own unworthiness as we journey. Today we're going to start at the end. We're going to start at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Because at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he answers this question, where's your foundation? Where is your foundation? What is it that you stand on in your life? And that's not an easy question to answer. If you were to look around you, or all the people that are here today, and all the people that walk through the doors of this church, who's a Christian and who's not a Christian? How can you tell? Anybody can walk through the door. We all look pretty similar. We're all wearing clothes. We're all dressed up nice. I even ironed my shirt this morning just to look nice. Even ironed my sweater because it was a bit creased up. So we're looking good. So how can you tell who is a real believer and who is not? Well, you tell where the foundation is. There's two little plants growing. You can tell by the roots. Jesus said this, therefore, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Do you remember the song? I'm not going to sing it. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, 
with a great crash. What is Jesus saying here? Firstly, he's saying that it's not always easy to tell. It's easy to give the answer, but it's not always easy to tell. Peter said to Jesus, I'll follow you, I'll even die for you. And Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. Not a chance. No way. You're wrong here, Jesus. You're right about many things, but this, I know myself, it's not going to happen. 24 hours later, he's denied his Christ. Three times. What did I say about three? Basically, he's saying... To the nth degree, I want nothing to do with you, Jesus. I'm going to deny you three times. I don't want anything to touch you. I don't want to be anywhere. So why did Jesus respond, do you love me three times? Because I'm going to welcome you back to the nth degree, back into my family. Peter would have said, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to follow you. My foundation is on you, Jesus. But when it came to the moment... What happened? Disciples were in the boat. Jesus is fast asleep. Storm comes up. They start bailing the boat out because the waves coming over. What do they do? Jesus, wake up. Are we going to drown here? What are you doing? You're fast asleep. How can you be sleeping? Help us bail out the boat. And Jesus says, you have little faith. You don't know. How, how can this boat drown with the Son of God sitting in it? It's not going to happen. Where's your faith? What's your foundation? It's not always easy to tell. Two houses that were built. Both of them looked exactly the same. Beautiful house number one, beautiful house number two. Both of them had storms coming against them. And what happened? One stayed and one fell. Storms are a normal part of life. You know that? I wish that wasn't true. I wished when the, that when you became a believer in Jesus Christ, storms were no more. That life was just full of sunshine, warmth, beaches, palm trees, and, and beauty and chilling. But the reality is that storms are a part of life. James said it. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Whenever you face trials. Not if you face trials, but when you're going to face them. Jesus even said it as well. I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world you will have what? Trouble. It's going to happen. You're never going to go through life without trouble, Jesus said. But don't worry because I've overcome the world. He said, storms are a normal part of life. The storms will come on the house that we built for ourselves. And the key is that the storm reveals the foundation. Because you only ever see what the foundation is when the storms come in your life. You may think that you're trusting in God, but when a storm comes in your life, it will reveal to you what truly your foundation is. Where do you turn? What's your first instinct when a storm comes? Who do you trust? Do you trust in God's wisdom? 
that he's going to see you through because he loves you? Do you trust in his strength that he's going to give you enough strength to get through whatever the storm is that you're facing? Do you look to the promise or do you focus on the circumstance? God, you have said this and I believe this to be true. Therefore, I'm going to hang on to that even though my circumstances do not back up your promise right now. I would rather hang on to your promise. Do you run to God or do you run away from him? What happens when a storm comes in your life? So many people, when storms come, their reading of the Bible stops, their prayer life stops, they run away from God. Other people, a storm comes and they get deeper in the word of God and they became, pray with more fervency and they reach out to God and they hang on to God like he's, the, he's one of those life-saving, whatever you call them, those boys that you, you, know, that you put around you so that you hang on to that so you're not going to drown. What happens when a storm comes in your life? When the last storm hit you, what did you do? What was your reaction? You see, that will show you where your foundation is. Do you run to your family? Some people lose themselves in their jobs and they start working all hours of the day and night just to fill their time up so they don't have to think about the storm. Other people get all religious and they come into the church or to the synagogue or the mosque or whatever. Every time the door is open, I'll just go on this rotor and that rotor and another rotor. And if I, if I just spend my time being religious, then surely God's going to just rescue me from this. Or do you rely on the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ? Storms reveal the foundation. Think about yourself. When storms come in your life, what do you see? Where do you run? So where do we start with all this? Firstly, how do we build this firm foundation? Firstly, start where you are. As I ask that question, if you're honest with yourself, start there. Jesus constantly wanted people to be honest. Rich young ruler came to him, said, I've done all the law. He said, let me give you a bit of honesty. Go sell everything you have, give to the poor, come follow me. And he went away sad. The Pharisees came to him and Jesus gave them honesty. You know, you, you're all dressed in the outside, but inside? Get the inside sorted so that the outside reflects the inside, not covers it up. Jesus constantly, even with Peter, you're going to deny me. You know what? You're inside, you're saying the words, Peter. But still the inside is shaking. It was only after Pentecost that Peter changed. Or maybe after that moment when he messed up so badly and then was restored. Start wherever you are. Don't pretend that you're somewhere you're not. When the storms come, where do you run? That's where you need to start. Second thing is this. You need to be determined 
to build. This series on Matthew 5 to 7 will help us to build a solid foundation. If you engage with this, if you listen to this, if you apply this into your life, it will help you to build. I don't know what this series is going to be like. I haven't got it all planned out. All I know is that God said, this is what you need to do, so this is what we're doing. And so we'll see where it goes. We'll see what happens within us as we journey through this together. But we have to be determined to build. That means you set your priorities. Nothing ever happens unless we set it as a priority. When I was a little boy, my mom said, piano lessons. So I was kicked off the piano lessons. Mrs. Pretlove, her name was. I guess she was probably nice, but not to me. But you see, it was my mother's priority that I went to piano lessons. It wasn't really my priority in life. And so I used to rationalize it away, saying, you know what? Then if I do practice, because the fear factor kicks in and the adrenaline rush kicks in, and I often play better in front of her. Whereas if I actually have practiced all week because I've been hassled and harangued by my mother to practice, have you done your practice yet? No. Get in there, practice on the piano. Then I used to play worse in front of her. So finally, Mrs. Pretlove saw right through me and said, David, I think it's best if we just part ways. So hallelujah. It wasn't a priority in my life, so I never made time to do anything. And it's the same for all of us. How many of you have started things that never got finished? Why? Because it's not a priority. You know, 50% of PhD students never finish their PhD. They put all the money in. It's a great idea at the start, but they never finish because it's not that priority that they'll see through. Is this going to be a priority in your life? To build the kind of foundation that we need to build. Are you going to set your heart and mind on it? Are you going to say, this is going to be a priority and I'm going to see this through to the end. I'm not going to allow anything to get in the way. Because this is what I want to do. And you can always tell your priorities by your diary. You know that? If it's a priority to build, you'll see it in your diary. You'll see time. One of the things God has been saying to me is that I need to spend more time than I spend right now in prayer than I already do. So I need to block out time to make that happen. So that when people phone me up and say, David, can you see me at 9 o'clock in the morning? Can you see me at 10 o'clock in the morning? I have a decision to make. Am I going to spend time with Jesus in the morning or am I going to spend time with people? What is it going to be? And the reality is I have to block out time in my diary if it's going to happen. Why? Because otherwise my time will just be used up as it was used up before. There's a million and one things to be done. But what is the priority? If the priority is making time for for Jesus, then you'll see it in the diary. It becomes a reality. One of the things I had to do with, with Enica in ministry was to prioritize and block out time together because we found that weeks went by 
And there was just more need and more need and more need of people. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. And then we never spent time together. So we said, that's got to stop. I'm not married to all these other people. I'm married to you. So we made it a priority. We block in time. And it felt bad to block in time because it should just be normal time. But we recognized if we didn't put it in the diary, it wasn't going to happen. What about time with Jesus? What about building a foundation? Are you going to make that a priority? Then you'll see it in your diary. Or are you going to try and fit it in in the cracks and in the little spaces that never seem to happen? What are you going to do? Are you determined to build that solid foundation? Third thing we have to do is know the truth. If we're going to build that foundation, we need the right materials to build it with. Why are we going through Matthew 5 to 7? Because in Matthew chapter 5 to 7, it gives us the building blocks to build that right foundation. Expose yourself to it. Read it. I said to the other services last week, make a commitment to read Matthew 5 to 7 through at least once a week. It'll take you about 10 minutes. But read it every single week that we do this series. Spend time reading it. Just sit down and read it again. I know that bit. I read it last week. I know. Read it again. Because as you read it and read it and read it, God will show you new things. He will expose you. As you expose yourself to the Scriptures... The Spirit of God enlivens the Scriptures into your life. And you'll see things. Read it. Come to the tag groups where we're going to continue to explore it and have an opportunity to ask questions and reflect upon it. Last week, we were looking at Holy, Holy, Holy from Isaiah 6. And we went deeper in it. And our, our group, we went so deep, we overran because we were asking question after question after question. What does this mean? How does this work? How does this... What's really going on here? What does it mean for me? Use the opportunities to build. There's tag on Wednesdays at 7.30, Thursdays at 11 o'clock. Come along. Listen to the podcasts again. They're online. If you can get online, have another listen. Think about it. Read books about it. Expose yourself over and over to the truth. Then listen to it and understand. How many times as husbands, hands up if you're a husband here. Come on in, put your hand up, miss. How many times have your wife said something to you? And it just went, pew. you're in church. Keep your hands up if that is the truth. Two hands up if that is always the truth. How many wives are looking at their husbands now going, get your rand up right now? Why? Because your wife tells you something and you hear it, but you don't listen to it. David? That's what I heard. You know now, I'm sure there was a lot of sense in there somewhere. But that's, because that's, why? Because I was busy watching TV or I was doing something else. And, and then, you know, and then Enika comes back. Have you done? Oh, I'm just about to. 
But while you were out, I decided I would clean the bathroom instead because I was just merely guessing because I hadn't really listened to what she said. And then guilt kicked in and I thought I'd better do something intelligent, right? It's not about just coming to church. How many times do we come to church? We hear, but we don't really listen. Do you remember that service? Years ago at a 9.30 service. I remember I, I came up one Sunday morning and I said, we read the passage together. Somebody read it out. And I said, what questions you got? Do you remember that Sunday? I remember it. I just stood there and said, so what questions you got? You know what happened? Everybody's head went back to the Bible. Why? Because we'd never really read it. You listened to somebody read it and it just went like this. And then we started engaging with, it was one of the Psalms. We started looking at it in detail and asking questions. Do you know the number of people that have come to me in 18 years of ministry and asked me a biblical question based on the Sunday sermon? I can count them on one hand. You know, that's appalling, honestly. Because that tells me that we don't really, I've got loads of questions. Let's just start coming around to you guys and asking you questions. Because it's complicated. It's not easy. What, is it, what does holiness really mean? What does it mean to be holy as God is holy? I haven't got the answers, all of them. I'm still working it out, so I know you guys don't. So we don't engage with it. I'm saying we have an opportunity here to engage in probably the greatest passage of Scripture that Jesus ever gave us, his greatest teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. You can come to church week after week, go, David, that was great, thank you so much, and leave and not engage with it. Or we can really wrestle with this passage of Scripture from Matthew 5 to 7. You can come and come on a Wednesday, come on a Thursday, email me, text me, text Pauline, text Mike, they're the service pastors, earn the, the serious wage that we're giving them. We're not really, so, you know. But 9.30 at trinityharrow.co.uk. That's their email address. Write to them. Well, what did this mean? What was that all about? I read the Sermon on the Mount, and I don't understand this bit from last Sunday. Engage with it. Really listen and seek to understand the truth. How can I tell if I'm a wise or a foolish builder? What did he really mean? And so on. And then learn the truth. No good just listening if we don't learn it. If it doesn't become part of who we are. If it doesn't change us. Learn to be an apprentice. That requires humility. But surround yourselves by people who are further along than you are. When you want to learn something, it's the best thing to do, isn't it? When you want to learn something, who do you go to? You go to somebody who knows more than you. No good if you went to a university and the lecturer stood up there and said, hey. Or if I stood up in church and I went, hey, well, I've never really read the Bible. But let, let's, just, let's just do this together, shall we? You'll be going, what? You go to a garage to get your car fixed and the guy goes, well, I'm not really good on cars, to be honest. I'm more of a bike man myself, you know, so bicycles. But let, let's have a look together at what seems to be the problem. You began like, what? What am I paying you for? 
Why am I doing this? Find people in your Christian life who are further, that you see are further down the road in the area that God is calling you to go. Attach yourself to them. Go with humility and say, you know what? I want to learn from you. I want to journey with you a little bit. Help me to grow in the places I need to grow. And God will teach you. He loves to teach you through his family. Learn the truth. And lastly, put it into practice. What does Jesus say? The wise builder is what? The one who starts where they are, they're determined, they know the truth, but they also act on the truth. They listen to these words of mind and what? They put it into practice. We can spend months looking at the Sermon on the Mount if we don't put it into practice in our lives. It's pointless. We just come, we go, and we're no, we're no different week by week. But if we put it into practice, that's when the firm foundation starts to build. Thomas Kempis said this, the loftier the building, the deeper must be the foundation that's laid. The loftier the building, the deeper the foundation. The question is this, we need to decide. Are we going to go through this series and just say, you know what, I'm happy to be a bungalow or a shed I'm happy where I am. I don't really need all this hassle. I don't really want to make changes in my life to build a foundation. Then if that's where you're at, that's okay, I guess. But God wants buildings that stand. He said, I want you to be yeast. I want you to be lights that shine on a hill so that everyone can see. I want to build that foundation in you so that you can shine your light out that can help and encourage and just be a resource for everybody else, a channel of grace and blessing into other people's lives. To do that, we need deep foundations, the foundations that God longs to build in you and in me if we let him. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be wise builders. Storms will come. Storms have come in each one of our lives. And they will continue to come. We know that's a fact of life until we meet you face to face. But Lord, help us to build those deep foundations. Build deep foundations within each one of us. So that when the storms come, the building will stand. And stand strong because it is built on the rock not on the sand. Lord, as we go through this season together from Matthew 5 to 7, those words of Jesus, build that foundation within each one of us, I pray, that we may grow tall and be a light that is on a hill, a beautiful tree with branches and fruit bearing so much for your glory. Teach us to be holy as you are holy. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.